folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch some baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. This is Greg Olson, here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual-threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv, an unmatched dual threat. Another episode of Purple Insider. Joining me today is a beat reporter covering the Jacksonville Jaguars for Jaguar Report, John Shipley. Not to be mistaken with a Twin Cities John Shipley, who is much older than you, John Shipley. Hi, John. Hey, how you doing? I know exactly who you're talking about just because there's a reason my uh, Twitter name has so many underscores in it. <laughs> that, that is actually a joke that is sort of running on the podcast is people with underscores because every time <laughs> you have someone from PFF, it's always, you know, PFF underscore or whatever, yeah. that sort of thing. So you are uh, on Twitter, starts <laughs> with the underscore, John yep. underscore Shipley, and that is definitely problematic. But uh, you can amend <laughs> for it with a good appearance here on the show. So let's, let's get right into it with Yannick Ngakwe, and maybe you could give me the perspective from Jacksonville's side and what went wrong and where all of Jacksonville's defensive players went. The Vikings, at least from their 27 defense, have some guys left, John. <laughs> I think what's been lost in a lot of this is the fact that the Jaguars, they wanted Ngakwe to you know, still be on their team. They're willing to make him the highest paid player on the team when they place the tag on him this season. They, you know, obviously wanted to resign him at some point this offseason. But where it really went wrong was from Ngakwe's standpoint. You know, Ngakwe last year in 2019, he wanted an extension then. You know, through three years, he had almost 30 sacks. He had made a Pro Bowl. He had, I think it was eight forced fumbles at the three seasons. And he had far outplayed his third round contract. 
And, you know, he attempted to enter negotiations with the Jaguars then. And uh, Tom Coughlin was, of course, still the czar of Jacksonville's football operations then. And, uh, you know, really from every report and every really feeling you get from it, Coughlin really didn't negotiate in good faith. You know, SI's Albert Breer reported after Coughlin was fired that Coughlin made one offer to Ngakwe that entire time and then said that's our last and best offer. And, 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 and you really just get the sense that Ngakwe felt disrespected after that. So, I mean, if you look at it this way, Ngakwe basically lost out on $20 million or so because he didn't take Jacksonville's offer last season. But he didn't take it because it was an offer that he deemed really not good enough for his talents. And because of that, that's why he wanted out of Jacksonville to begin with. You know, even with Tom Coughlin not there running the show anymore, you just get the sense that he really felt disrespected to the point where, he just wanted a fresh start. And, you know, that's his life. You know, I mean, you, you can't ever fault somebody's decision in terms of, you know, where they rank their priorities when it comes to money, place of work, that kind of thing. John, how much different is the perception of what he's done here with the fact that it's not just him? It's Jalen Ramsey wanted out, a number of other players wanted out. The Tom Coughlin era seemed to have gone uh, south fast. Uh, sure. You know, last year with the NFLPA saying basically don't sign with the Jacksonville Jaguars, <laughs> the, the the London agreement. I mean, there's a lot there that would, I think, make it different than, say, a Stephon Diggs trade where you go, what was Diggs' problem? He's their leading yeah. wide receiver. He's the Minneapolis Miracle guy. It must have been an issue with him. But with Ngakwe, I think a lot more people look at it like, oh, he's going from an organization that has been – um, really since 2017 in the gutter to an organization that is consistently since Mike Zimmer got here been at the top of the heap. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, like you had said, you look at the 2017 uh, starting defense from the championship game and you wonder, you know, where the, where the heck did everybody go? I mean, at, at this point, just three years later, they only have two players that remain that played uh, 300 snaps or more for that defense, and that's uh, linebacker Miles Jack, who just got moved from middle linebacker to weak side linebacker, so that tells you how that went. And then you have nose tackle Avery Jones, who wasn't even a starter on that 2017 team. And the big reason for that is, you know, of course you had a couple of retirements with Paul Bezlesny and Telvin Smith, but a lot of these guys were either traded away because of poor relationships with them front office, such as, like you said, Ngakwe or Jalen Ramsey. And when you look at those two, and then also Allen Robinson, who, you know, he wasn't traded away, but they didn't re-sign him after 2017 and instead spent money on Marquise Lee and Dante Moncrief. The real reason that happened is because the team's management had an issue with retaining their homegrown top talent. You know, you look at the, the guys that they paid the most money, and it was normally coming for players from other teams, their current highest payers player is guard Andrew Norwell you know they were really making other players and Nick Foles is another example they were trying to bring other players in to make them the cornerstone of their team instead of really investing in their future that they had picked themselves and I feel like that really happened just because management's relationship with the players deteriorated Uh, I think Tom Coughlin is the major reason for that but I I don't think things can ever get to that point where you say only one person is uh really the root cause of that. So I think at this point, really, where they go from here is, you know, they they have to try to change that perception. But it really felt like Ngakwe was maybe the last domino to fall from that just because, I mean, (laughs) who who else is there that's going to leave? You know, Miles Jack. So that's just where things kind of went from there. You know, you really felt like 
all those players. I mean, you've even had Leonard Fournette uh, post uh, tweets and memes on social media about uh, Coughlin being the one that he feels ruined the 2017 Jaguars. So that's not an opinion that's just held in media, obviously. That's an opinion that's even held by some inside a locker room. It's remarkable. A guy could not have had a higher perception around the NFL after winning two Super Bowls yeah. with the Giants than Tom Coughlin. And then in that position – you can't treat that position like a head coach, and it seems yeah. like in a lot of ways he did and used power that maybe he wouldn't have had before as a head coach, and I think it's got to be a completely different mentality. and It just wasn't a fit for him, and like you said, tore the entire roster apart. And again, that's why I think people in Minnesota are looking at it like, you know, the the meme from uh, Austin Powers, just like, come here, come over here to an organization that makes sense <laughs> and is stable. Um, so now let's talk about Ngakwe as a player because, you know, we can look at the pressure numbers from PFF. We can look at the grades and so forth. But you've had a lot more time looking at him actually playing football. So just tell me about what the Vikings are getting as a football player in Yannick Ngakwe. Yeah, no, what they're getting, uh, first of all, is a really steady pass rusher, you know. He he might go through the occasional lull, like really any pass rusher of, you know, periods where he's not getting to the quarterback as often. But he's a guy who you can really expect to come in every Sunday and at least have a good chance to make an impact. Uh, he has a great burst off the line. He has terrific flexibility. And those, those are his two best traits. And with each of those being his best traits, it helps him get near the football a lot. You know, he does more than just sack the quarterback. You know, he's only had one season with double-digit sacks, but I believe that you have to look at the explosive plays that he helps create on defense to really get a good feel for his impact in Jacksonville. Uh, I, I, I don't know the exact figure, but I know over the last several years, almost all of the team's defensive plays, say for, I believe, a handful, were uh, defensive touchdowns, I mean, were the direct result of Ngakwe. Whether it's him forcing a fumble, him returning an interception for a touchdown, him returning a fumble for a touchdown. I mean, you're talking about a guy who has 14 forced fumbles in four seasons, and he had one season where he didn't have any, so that's 14 forced fumbles over three seasons. I mean, people harp on his sack production, but Last year, he still forced uh, six forced fumbles. So, I mean, he's a guy who he's going to get to the quarterback a good bit, and he's going to get the ball out. And I believe that's an asset for any defense. Uh, run defense, definitely not his strength, just because, I mean, you can look at him. You know, he's he's not really a guy who's kind of an anchoring defensive end who can really set the edge. But he still makes some plays against the run game. You know, like I mentioned his quickness earlier. He's able a lot of times to really get a good jump on the offensive lineman and get in the backfield kind of sneak back there and make a tackle for loss. So he's not going to make a ton of plays where he's, you know, throwing the linemen to the ground and setting the edge. But he'll make some run stops by beating the offensive linemen off the ball and getting back there. And, and it's really, in terms of the run stuffing, something that the Jaguars, at least on paper it looks like to me, tried to mitigate – certain situations where you would not want someone that's at least listed at 246 pounds. Um, the Vikings, when they have Everson Griffin, they played him 900 to 1,000 snaps because he could do it all, and he could be yeah. in there for any type of situation. If it was third and one at the goal line, you want Everson Griffin in. I, it looks to me like you don't want Yannick Ngakwe. Well, the interesting thing with the Jaguars is the defensive scheme they played – Ngakwe's entire time in Jacksonville. When they're in their base defense, they have two defensive ends on the field, but only one of them is kind of a true 4-3 defensive end. You know, the other one is more of a Calais Campbell type, you know, more of a closer 300-pound guy. So they would have a lot of situations where, you know, like you had said, maybe you don't want him in. Well, he's still on the field, but he's so far both off the line and to the 
weak side of the offense that you're able to kind of get a little bit of a compromise with the poor run defense. Uh, again, he's not a guy, like you said, if you're on the one yard line and the goal line, I don't think he's particularly, you know, a guy that you're afraid of running at, but it, I you will say that he has at least made it a focus in the last several years to improve on that aspect of his game. Uh, he mentioned that a lot last season, and last season was probably one of his better seasons as a run defender. But there will be highlights now and then where there's a big run to his side. What did you think of the price that the Vikings paid for him? You know, obviously yeah. uh, Jacksonville not in a situation to necessarily get a first round pick when the player is saying, "I'm out. I'm not going to play for you guys." But you know, overall, I thought very much in the same manner as the Stephon Diggs, very fair. Like that, they gave yeah. up a good amount and they got back a really good player. Just like when they gave up Diggs, they got back a, a very appropriate. This is not a Bill O'Brien trade, basically. Yeah, basically. It, I, I think once it got past the July 15th deadline where Ngakwe wasn't able to sign you know, a multi-year contract, that it was a lot like the Clowney trade last year where you can't expect a ton just because you know you, they can verbally work out a contract all they want, but at the end of the year it's still officially a one-year rental until further notice. So I thought a second-round pick was always going to be as really as good as they could do once that deadline passed. And while I think that's acceptable acceptable for them I think it's an even better deal for the Vikings because if you look at it you're getting one he's just a 25 year old defensive end he's entering his fifth year he should be entering his prime you know he's only had one season of double digits of sacks but he's never had a season with fewer than eight sacks so you know you're getting a guy who both has high upside due to his age and a high ceiling due to, due to his production so I feel like paying a second round pick for that type of player I mean, what player are you going to pick in the second round that realistically is going to have a better impact next year? You do have to factor in the fact that the Vikings are going to have to pay him a heavy price after this year. And I think if they don't sign him to a new contract, which I believe is absolutely expected, then that would obviously hinder how their how the trade looks. But as of right now, I think it looks like an okay deal for the Jaguars and an even better deal for the Vikings. Yeah, if they don't sign him, I would be stunned and I would yeah. totally change my opinion of the trade. This was a trade on the show, we were pushing before, like, hey, this makes a lot of sense um, because of his age, especially. How many times mm-hmm. can you get your hands on somebody who's 25 years old who you can sign to a long-term contract and then keep him and Hunter for a very long time? Yeah. That's where it makes a lot of sense. Uh, before I let you go, John, um, tell me about the Jags. Like, what is happening? Uh, a very good draft, I thought. They picked a bunch of players uh, Chenault, Chason, uh, Henderson, like guys that have very, very high ceilings, but seems like it's going to be a long road to the top. Yeah, I mean, at least for this year, like you said, they have a lot of young players with a lot of potential, but they're set to be one of the youngest teams in the NFL. You just look at their depth chart, and it's a lot of first, second, third-year players. And the real issue with the Jaguars isn't the fact that they're the void of talent or that they lack a ton of depth because they do have an interesting roster of talent. The issue is they don't have that top-tier blue-chip talent they used to have. You know, the Ngakwe's, the Jalen Ramsey's, the Calais Campbell's. All those guys are gone. You know, they have some really good players who are well on their way to becoming those type of players and guys like Josh Allen and DJ Chark, but they simply need to add more, and that seems to be the reason why they're stockpiling on so many picks. So, yeah, I, I, I do think this year uh, they're going to be uh, – I'm not sold that they'll be worse than, say, the New York Jets, who 
I don't know if they have a player as good as Chark or Allen on their entire team. But I think they're going to be a lot closer to picking to first overall than they will be to, say, winning nine or ten games. I mean, if they get Justin Fields or Trevor Lawrence and then all these other draft picks that look really good with high stuff, yeah. hit on a few of those, it, it might not have to be that long until they're back. It's like, I mean, I've always done this on Madden, but it works in real life. When <laughs> you get a roster, you tear it down, and then you yeah. build it back up with the top draft pick. I mean, it's just kind of if you're not one of those teams that has Aaron Rodgers for 10 years that keeps you at the top, this is the only way to get back there. Yeah, and they have no real money tied in at quarterback either. You know, I mean, they have Minshew for this year, but if you look at it, their, their commitment to Minshew is really kind of just – for 2020. I mean, they, they, to my knowledge, they either have the cheapest or the second cheapest uh, paid quarterback room in the entire NFL. So you have all those picks, they have weapons on offense and shark and now Sonal. And if they play their cards, right, they can rebuild this team in quick fashion due to both picks. And they have an abundance of cap space because frankly, they have nobody to, to really pay over the last several years. So they have a chance to real rebuild this thing, but, They've had a chance before, and it worked for a year. So uh, they got to try to do a little bit, something more sustainable this time around. Well, from a reporter's perspective, being one of those bottom teams that's building up, I think that it offers almost as many interesting elements as a team that's winning and competing because you're always reassessing where do guys stand, who can you go forward with. So I wish you the yeah. best of luck with that. And the Jaguars <laughs> are never – for a team that's in a market that isn't as big as uh, you know your Dallas Cowboys or New York Giants – they always offer headlines. You are never too far yeah. off the headlines with the Jaguars. No, it, it has not been a quiet first year. <laughs> I won't say that much. It's, I was just thinking earlier today, I was like, it's weird. I got here, and it was about two days ago, Mark, my like exactly first year. And since I got here, they've traded away Jalen Ramsey, Calais Campbell, Yannick Ngakwe. I'm starting to wonder if I'm the problem. <laughs> and, and you had that legendary Jalen Ramsey press conference last year too. So yeah, there has been uh, won't be forgetting that one. That's right. A lot for you to cover. <laughs> follow him on Twitter. Yeah. It's okay if you follow two John Shipleys uh, at underscore John at underscore Shipley. If you can figure that out, you can follow him at Jaguar <laughs> Report with Sports Illustrated. Great stuff, man. I, I really appreciate you coming on, and uh, thanks for the insight. Hey, thanks for having me on, man. I really appreciate it. I hope you have a great rest of your weekend. want to remind you to go to SodaStick.com to get your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. They just launched their official collaboration with Bud Grant. Yes, Bud Grant. You can now get your official Bud Grant shirt and Man Cave art print. If you haven't seen it yet, you have to check it out, and we're going to hook you up with free shipping for your order. Use code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. That is SOTASTICK, S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com, original Minnesota sports-inspired goods, code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. All right, now we welcome into the show from USA Today. He has been on before, one of my favorite people to read, and now a podcast also to listen to, Stephen Ruiz. Uh, Stephen, how are you enjoying your jump into the podcast world? I'm good. You told me that this is my penalty for writing about the Vikings, but I blame the Jaguars for trading Yannick Ngakwe and forcing me. Yeah, well, that's what I've said, because if you write about the Vikings, then you uh, have to come on and talk about it, because I'm always interested in your opinions and angles uh, because you do a great job of mixing analytics and film and common sense into your analysis, <laughs> and all of those things I think add up to pretty good takes. So you graded the move, and 
I just want Vikings fans to brace themselves for a second here. You graded it a C and called it risky. Explain, Mr. Ruiz. Okay. Well, let me say this. A C to me is a, a perfectly average grade. So it wasn't – I don't think it was a bad trade for them. At the very least, they're better in 2020. The reason why I think it's risky, I don't think it's risky like in the, the grand scheme of things. I don't think that the Vikings are going to look back at this trade and, and regret it. Like maybe they feel about the Sam Bradford trade. But there is uncertainty because of the contract situation and the deadline has passed to negotiate a long-term deal. And the Vikings cap situation isn't great. I know that's not breaking news to Vikings fans, although it did get better over the offseason. So it's not a guarantee that this is going to be more than a one-year rental. And I think paying, giving up a second-round pick and obviously a, a fifth-round pick, I think it's going to stay a fifth-round pick. I don't think there's a good chance they're going to meet the conditions for it. I think you can go up to a third. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I don't think it's going to be one they regret, but it could end up being a very expensive one-year rental. The way that I was thinking of this was that if you haven't whispered to the agent, here's the numbers that we want to sign you to Mm -hmm. once you become a Viking, then I'd be shocked that they made it. The other point is, too, that the Vikings, if they want to sign somebody, they get signed. I mean, if you you look at recent history, Anthony Barr is literally a foot out the door and into the New York Jets facility when they grab him and pull him back and say, nope, you're staying here in Minnesota. So anybody that they've ever wanted to keep, if they make that effort, they structure contracts the way that agents uh, seem to like and that works for everybody. And they have even deals where we say, oh, well, they got that guy for a a song like Daniel Hunter's deal. I guarantee you they'll redo it and and they'll make it right. So the fact that their ownership is always willing to plunk down money, I'd be shocked if Yannick Ngakwe decided to move on. The question for me, though, Stephen, is if they give him $22 million a year, is that just too much for Yannick Ngakwe? Yeah, and that, that's the other side of things. Like, even if they do get him to a long-term deal, I think it's going to be an overpay no matter what. Because, as I wrote, he's kind of in this awkward position where he's really good and he's good enough to, to demand top dollar, but I don't think he's really good enough to justify it. He's a good pass rusher. I think at his peak, he's maybe even a great pass rusher, but it's not consistent. He's not an elite guy. He's not going to replace Everson Griffin, at least peak Everson Griffin, even if they do keep him long-term. And I think that's the only way this deal makes sense is if they lock him down to a big contract, I think it's going to be a bit of an overpay. So that's hence the C, hence the average trade. I don't think they deserve credit because it's not a below market deal, which is really the only kind of deal you can celebrate when your team signs or trades for someone. Okay, let's talk about what makes someone a top-notch pass rusher in in 2020 because, you know, sack numbers are great, and he's 12th in sacks. And any investigation into sacks versus pressures has found the sacks are what you want. They're not always consistent. They're not always predictable. But if you're getting forced fumbles like he does a lot and sacks like he does a lot, I mean, that, that's where the true value in game-changing plays can be. So I think that that is worth paying for. But there's the other side of this that says coverage is kind of king. And even Everson Griffin, I remember looking at PFF's uh, wins above replacement stat that they've been kind of you know, putting out little pieces here or there. And Everson Griffin, for the last three years, was worth about the same as two years of Mackenzie Alexander in terms of their wins model, <laughs> which would freak people out, I'm sure, because Everson is way better at his job than Alexander was at his. But it's coverage versus pressure. And I think you also see a lot of teams that find 
these Vinnie Curry players or right, Jabal right. Sheard of like guys that you you don't know as stars, but they rotate in and make plays. I think if you're making an argument against this trade, that's where it starts is if you were more patient, maybe you find rotational rushers that are cheaper than spending it all on this one guy. And that's something the Vikings have really been good at is finding rotational pass rushers and kind of developing them into a larger role. And we saw that happening with, I'm going to mispronounce his name, Afedia Denebo. Did I do a good job? Good shot, Afedia Denebo, yep. (laughs) All right, I was close. Vikings fans, maybe were trying to talk themselves into him, you know, being elevated into that role until the straight happened. You're overpaying for sacks, which is something you probably shouldn't do. And I kind of have a theory on the the pass rush coverage debate that I haven't haven't, uh, unleashed this take yet, and that's that a great pass rush is valuable because I do think it makes – a cornerback's job easier. And I don't think that's necessarily like captured in PFF grades. I've asked them about how they grade cornerbacks and it's not really based on assignment. So it's not like, that's why Jalen Ramsey kind of underperforms in these grades because he he's shadowing Tyree kill. He doesn't have help over the top. So when he gets beat, he doesn't get credit for that in the grading. And that kind of applies to a team level thing. Like if you're not playing two deep safeties with help over the top, your cornerback's going to have an easier job and he's going to look better in the grades. So I think maybe there's a disconnect there when we look at pass rush versus coverage. But I am one of the people on the side that that think, like, build the defense from the back to the front. And that's clearly not what the Vikings are doing, which is kind of odd to me for another reason. That's because Mike Zimmer is so good at drawing up pressures and scheming up. Like, I don't think they need needed that second stud pass rusher. And, well, now they have it, it might make things easier for him on the back end of the defense. Well, what they're going to have is an opportunity to sign Anthony Harris to an extension if they want to, and they're Mm -hmm. going to also have two corners on rookie deals and another one that's rookie deal, I think goes one more year, which would be Mike Hughes, and they can fifth-year option him, uh, you know, at some point here too. So, you know, I think that they have invested a lot in terms of drafts, that two first-round picks in Mike Hughes and Jeff Gladney, and then a third-round pick in Cameron Dantzler, and they paid more than anybody else for Holton Hill as an undrafted guy. So they've tried to make, you know, it's it's a Zimmer defense. They're not going to leave somebody Mm -hmm. out. Um, but it's just who's getting paid at this moment and whether they could have had a Denebo with other people. But I think, I think if you're the Vikings and you look at 2020 and 2021, 2020, you just can't say, Oh, it's a transition year and write it off because look at the NFC North. I mean, the the Packers will regress. The lions still remain very lionsy, even if there's reasons (laughs) to think that they're better and Chicago what? So like, I, I think if you're the Vikings, you look at this as both a short term and a long term. And if you sign them, okay, first year, maybe it looks like, okay, you overpaid. But in the long term, you have two 25 year old pass rushers who put up double digit sacks. And that's not easy to find. And I agree with you that it's not as simple as saying, oh, coverage is more important than pass rush because they do impact each other. I think of it in more of terms of how many times are you letting the other team drop back, stand there for three seconds and throw the ball? And how many guys can cover for three seconds plus? The answer is not too many. And so you're you're definitely right that, and I think they would say that too, contextualizing all these things is very important. Yeah, I agree with that. My I have kind of have this theory on, on team building, and that's you can afford to overpay guys at what some people might consider non-premium premium positions, although I do think edge is a premium position. And it really, like, 
how good of a job you do at building your roster is kind of based on which guys you overpay. And I don't think Yannick Ngakwe is really a guy I would want to overpay. I feel like he's more of a luxury. And I, I don't think the Vikings are in a spot where they can afford luxuries. Like the Chiefs can afford luxuries because they have Patrick Mahomes. And even if they overpay Chris Jones, it's not going to matter because they're going to score 35 points a game. So that's that's another problem I have with the deal. And I have a question, and I don't, I don't know if you're going to be able to answer it, but I haven't seen anyone else address it. And But Ngakwe took the pay cut. I'm wondering if they're going to be able to use the franchise tag on him next year, and will that 120% increase in salary count against the $13 million or the $17 Because I think if they can get it to count against the $13 million, then this is actually a pretty good deal because they're going to be able to lock him down for, what, like $15 million next year. And then in that case, I think this is actually a value a valuable deal for the Vikings. The way that I was looking at it is I, that it will be possible they could franchise tag him next year, but that's just not going to happen. Like the yeah. history on this team is in fact, Anthony Harris's franchise tag was very rare for the Vikings. They never do this. I think the last franchise tag guy they had was Jim Kleinsaucer or something. <laughs> I mean, they just don't use it very often because they sign people to extensions because then they can manipulate the cap and, and, or I should say they can uh, time salary cap hits to work off of each other, which is what they do so brilliantly. So it's, it's an interesting thought um, that goes with not just is he a good player, because I think we all recognize he is a good player, uh, but how much that's worth and how much they're going to have to invest in the future is really the big question. But also on him as a player, does it matter to you as a common sense analyst as well as an uh, analytics fan, that he's just not very good at all against the run, that he was 61st out of 62 in PFF grades against the run, even though he is effective uh, on a week-to-week basis in terms of pressuring the quarterback. It doesn't matter to me, but I think it's going to matter to Mike Zimmer, and that probably matters more than whether I care about it. And yeah, I see that when I watched the when I watched the film of him earlier in the offseason before he was set to hit free agency. And he's more of a gap shooter, like he takes chances. He gets a lot of tackles for loss, but like you said, like he's not a sound run defender by any means. And that might anger Mike Zimmer, at least early on. And I wouldn't be surprised if he starts out like as a rotational pass rusher, at least like for the first few weeks as he gets because he is gonna need to get up to speed, he hasn't been camped. Get back to the conversation in just a minute, but first, you've always counted on restaurants, and now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. You open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely at your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your local restaurants also are still open for delivery, too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees for your first order when you download the DoorDash app 
at the App Store and enter the code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL with NFLSundayTicket.tv. You can stream every live out-of-market NFL game and every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices, plus Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite team and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. Yeah, I think so too. And your point about Zimmer and guys being able to play against the run, for this particular defense, it is important for the guys, the four guys up front, so they don't have to move a safety down into the box. Right. And uh, that that is like one of the fundamental, this is why you signed Michael Pierce. This is why you overpaid Linval Joseph. This is why in the base package last year, you have Shamar Stefan out there, even though, you know, that's a whole different debate <laughs> of its own. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, if someone's getting gashed because they're weaker at this, I think we may see him play on past situations a little bit more than every single down like Everson Griffin. And that's the thing that I've been trying to say after just, you know, researching him a little bit here today since this trade went down is this is not Everson Griffin. This is just a very different type of player. Right. Yeah. He's more of a, like a pass rush specialist, which I mean, is okay. I think that's, it may not be the case in Mike Zimmer's mind, but he's going to make the most difference on third down. So that's when he's going to matter the most. And like you said, I think it's going to be a big deal on early downs because you can't, you don't want to bring that safety down. And that's usually why you bring a safety down to set that edge. And so if he's not holding up his end of the bargain at, on the edge of the defense, and I think they're going to need to adjust the back end of the defense. I don't think Mike Zimmer probably wants to do that. So Maybe that's why you'll see him start out in a more role, at least. I think the first few weeks, I don't think he's going to be playing a full, you know, a full rotate, like a full full rotation of snaps. Like, I, I just don't see how that works out for him early on. Okay, last thing I have for you, Stephen, uh, is your quarterback rankings. It's a great way to look at it. I love the way that you laid it out in your QB rankings, where your three categories were processing, throws, and creativity. And I think that Vikings fans would have a pretty strong guess at which one Kirk Cousins struggled with. And you ranked him 14th. He's right in the ballpark of not too far behind Matt Stafford. And you still have Aaron Rodgers as a top seven quarterback in the NFL and uh, didn't rank Mitch Trubisky very high at all. In fact, in the countdown, he's the first face you see. So um, <laughs> tell, tell me about your, your, your process for going about it this way, because I loved it. I thought it was just a different way of looking at it, as opposed to the uh, Madden throw power, throw accuracy awareness right. style that I think we've all grown up to, to look at quarterbacks in. Yeah, and that's how I used to do it. I've been doing this, I think this was my sixth year, and I've always – have used, I think, six attributes. It was like throw, uh, not throw power, but arm strength, accuracy, uh, pocket presence, field vision. And I was like, this is just such a convoluted way of looking at it. And like that, I mean, I feel like over complicate how we evaluate quarterbacks. It's really two, there's two aspects to a play, like before the throw and then after the throw. Does the quarterback find receivers to throw to and make good decisions? And does he get the ball to the receiver? And then you add in playmaking because, I mean, a quarterback, there's 
you know, plan A doesn't always work out and you need a plan B. And that's obviously where Cousins can falter. And I don't think like Cousins has definitely gotten better since Washington. He's a far better quarterback than he used to be. But I don't know if he's like shored up those weaknesses. It's more like he's gotten better at the things he was already good at. Like the ball still getting out quickly. He's still fairly accurate. I think he's better at throwing the ball downfield now than compared to when he was in Washington. But it's still that creativity thing, and I think that's going to follow him for the rest of his career. This is just who he is at this point. And usually players like him don't get more athletic or whatever, however else you can – whatever else you could say about his creativity, like what he doesn't do. But, I I mean, it works for him. And I ranked him 14th, but he could have very easily been 10th or even 9th. Well, in comparison to Rodgers, the way I've always looked at that is – even though they're statistically closer now, in fact, last year in terms of efficiency, you would say Cousins was quite a bit ahead. But if you were playing one game for a million dollars and you got to pick between those two quarterbacks, the fact that one of them can do some crazy bleep makes it so you would pick Aaron Rodgers. Like, okay, what guy is going to get down 20 and bring you back? Or what guy is going to have you know, just the crazy throws that go 60, 70 yards down the field to get you ahead. I mean, it's probably Aaron Rodgers. Which guy's going to have a play fall apart and he makes a wild throw? I think it's still him, even if that isn't what it used to be. His creativity rating from you is an 88. It would have been 100 like five or six years ago. So right. I, I think that that's the difference, even though on a week-to-week basis, you know, uh, Kirk Cousins is putting up better numbers. Right. I think Kirk Cousins has a, a higher floor but a lower ceiling and you – you tend to want that ceiling in big games. And it wasn't a game for a million dollars, but it was a game for the NFC North last year on Monday night. And we saw Rodgers show up and Cousins didn't really have a great game. Yep. That's a good point. And that is, uh, they, they have had some, some good duels in Lambeau, but even last year, Cousins in Lambeau, a problem. There's more of a kryptonite with Cousins, which is how I've thought of it is if you do X, Y, and Z, you will beat him. I don't think that exists for Aaron Rodgers. So follow Stephen Ruiz at the Stephen Ruiz on Twitter, and your podcast is The Counter. You've got some great guests on there, and I'm really looking forward to um, you know, the episodes to come on The Counter, and I mm-hmm. assume that you can get that Apple whatever you use. To Wherever you get your podcast. Extremely football-y <laughs> football podcast. Just type that in. Uh, and a great logo, by the way, that you have. I made the logo, so I Did appreciate you? that. Great. Well, it's basically drawing. It looks like a football play. Exactly. Exactly. Well done. Well, Stephen, again, one of my favorite people to read. Uh, Always want to know what you think when anything happens. And you you paid your penance for writing about the Vikings (laughs) by coming on the show. And I greatly appreciate it, man. We'll do it again soon. Yeah, no problem. Maybe I'll write about the Vikings more in the future just so I can get on. There you go. And uh, (laughs) you'll uh, be highly paid for dropping by, as always. It's like college football players. Yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah, it's the same thing. It's the experience that you're getting on the podcast, (laughs) helping you become a better podcaster in the future. That's exactly what college football presidents told me to say. So, uh, again, follow him at the Stephen Ruiz, and uh, we'll talk to you again, man. Right. Thanks. Anytime. Hi, my name is Bobby Peters, and I've recently written a book titled The 2017 New England Patriots Pass Game Manual. If you've ever wondered what makes the New England Patriots offense, specifically their pass game, so successful over the years, this book is for you. The book breaks down in detail the schemes the Patriots use by concept. Each concept is broken down into its different variations, its statistical usage based on down and distance, 
and the important coaching points for how each route is run and how the quarterback reads the play. The book is available now on Amazon. Get your copy today. Did somebody say playoffs, NBA, and NHL are playing for the gold and our partners at Bet Online have you covered? Get in on all the action, including a new NBA bracket contest with plenty of chances to win. MLB season is pushing into the fall. There's no shortage of ways to bet on hundreds of odds, futures, and props there. So take advantage of the return to sports. And remember, the casino never closes. Check it out all day, all night. Go to betonline.ag. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your welcome bonus. That's betonline.ag, code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts.